I'm Dr. Jack West from City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at islc.org under the news heading. Well, I'm here at the 20th World Conference on Lung Cancer in Barcelona, Spain, with a couple of my wonderful colleagues. Dr. Heather Wakeley is a thoracic medical oncologist and professor of medicine at Stanford University Medical Center and the president-elect of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer. Thanks for taking the time. Great to be here, Jack. And also I have Dr. Corinne Favre-Finn, who is Professor of Thoracic Radiation Oncology at the University of Manchester in the UK and Honorary Consultant Clinical Oncologist. Uh, she's also the ISLC James Cox Lectureship Award winner for uh, 2019. We'll be speaking in just a few hours here, so congratulations on that. Thank you so much, Jack, and great to be with you. Uh, we're gonna focus on an important and I think very timely issue of uh, women leadership in oncology, in medicine, and I think this is getting a lot more attention in, in recent months and years, though uh, probably a very long, long time coming. Um, you are both great examples of women who have, have uh, reached a point of, of leadership and teaching and, uh, and, and an example of what's possible. But uh, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on one mindset is that <clears throat> you kind of have to see one to be one and whether you have had women in senior positions along the way who have provided those examples and maybe some mentorship. I mean, in the setting of ISLC, Frances Shepard is the only prior uh, president of the IESLC as a woman, uh, and it's hard to, to find more than a few examples. Corrine, maybe could you start with this thought? Yes, Jack, so I wished I'd had female mentors. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Most of the people I worked with, most of my senior colleagues are men and are still men, um, but I do try to, you know, my, try my best to uh, help women and, uh, you know, give them a little bit of advice about their career and also family life. I think it's really important to talk about both, not just the career, um, how it is possible to have the family, have children, have time for yourself as well, uh, at the same time as having a successful career. Yeah, Heather, how about your thoughts? I, I mean, one thing that I'd seen recently on Twitter was one of our younger colleagues who's a woman saying that she had been advised not to go into lung cancer because it was a boys club. And uh, she's glad she didn't take that advice, but this is also more than a decade, approaching two decades from the time when, when you and I entered the field. And did it seem like a boys club to you at some points? It did and it didn't. I mean, I was fortunate to have a lot of different mentors, many of whom happened to be women. Um, at my own institution, uh, Charlotte Jacobs, who isn't a lung cancer doctor, but was a, a senior woman in our medical oncology group, was very supportive of me, um, even though she wasn't giving me the direct lung cancer mentorship. And then outside of Stanford, Joan Schiller through ECOG Akron has been a very important part of my career all along and really showing how as a woman with raising children, she was a leader and has continues to be a leader in the field and was the head of ECOG Akron Thoracic Committee when I first started. Karen Kelly has also been a great mentor to me over the years. 
Um, and as I, at my own institution when I was starting, I had Quinn Lee, who's our radiation oncologist focused in thoracic. She's now the chair of our um, department of thoracic, on, of radiation oncology in general, though she's doing more head and neck. And Jessica Donington, who uh, was speaking at our presidential symposium today as one of the discussants, was our female thoracic surgeon, right? So when I was starting, we had a strong group of women leading our lung cancer team, which was great. So I've always had some folks I could turn to, but I've also known that that's a rarity. And so I've made it a point to reach out to people, not just at my own institution, um, but around wherever I can to try to support women who are facing the challenges that are, are a little bit different for women and men. I mean, men are obviously involved in childcare as well, though they don't have to carry the children. Um, and, uh, and I think that times have changed, especially in the United States, where child rearing is no longer the woman's job, it's the family's job, and so that's been great, but there's still, um, that's not the truth around the world, and it's certainly not the truth throughout the entire United States even, so there's a lot of that, and it's kind of supporting people to feel not so guilty if they choose to continue to develop their career at the same time that they're being mothers. Um, I think getting back to uh, when you'd mentioned some of the work of um, some of our junior colleagues who are still speaking loudly about the biases that are still there. I think a lot of the really explicit biases of the past where women were told to their faces, you can't do this, you're a woman, are mostly behind us, though not completely, but the implicit bias is still there. Um, and actually one of our junior colleagues, Narjas Duma, who's just joined the University of Wisconsin as a faculty there, had a presentation at ASCO where she noted how people were um, introduced when they were giving lectures. And she noticed that even very recently, women are more often referred to solely by their first names and not by their titles or their last names compared to men. So it's still happening and there are things that we can all be aware of and I think the more we talk about it, the more people become aware of those implicit biases so that they are, once you become mindful of it, most people are horrified and realize, oh, I, I mean to treat everybody the same, it's just that we, don't always do that. And so it's wonderful that you're doing this podcast to raise even more awareness around those challenges. But there are a lot of really amazing women across disciplines, across the globe, who are focused on lung cancer. And it's, it's a great time to be involved in it. What about, you'd mentioned the, the issue of uh, having a family. And, and one of the concerns I think that women have more than men, uh, and not without justification, is a concern that you'll be relegated to a second tier of not being as serious about your career if you have kids. Uh, do you feel that that's gotten better? or did, I would imagine that it's, it's a real challenge. I know that certainly some of my colleagues felt that or still feel that they're needing to make choices that they shouldn't have to make about being seen as a serious career-focused person versus having a family rather than having it be a seamless blend. So I, I tried, uh, I, I made a big effort to bring my children to a lot of things when they were still younger and to make sure people knew they were there. Um, I, so they came to some of our uh, division retreats for oncology. They've come to a lot of lung cancer conferences. As you know, Jack, you've met them. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, part of that was to make a statement that you can do both, um, that you can absolutely have children and you can still be a serious career person. Um, much of the challenges are still, there's a lot of societal pressure to be a mom and have that be your top and only priority. Um, so that, but then we have to, 
talk to each other around the fact that you can really truly do both without necessarily diminishing one or the other, that they can support each other because you're role modeling for your children how you can have an impact that's beyond just the family, um, but that you're helping so many other people as well. But I guess you have to make a choice. And you know, for example, in the UK, there are many doctors who, including hospital doctors, who will decide to go part-time once they have children. Mm -hmm. And some of them will work, you know, for example, three days a week, and that's a choice they make. And I guess, when you work three days a week, it is very difficult to combine, for example, a research career and a clinical career. Mm -hmm. And I think the issue with having so few women in leadership, certainly in Europe, is the fact that it is difficult to combine both when you've made that choice. Mm -hmm. And I always make the observation, whenever I attend any you know, international committees, um, guideline committees, for example, you know, as soon as I go into the room, I count the number of women, and typically, 20% of the people on these committees tend to be women, and that is still the reality. So ye yesterday I was having an interesting conversation with uh, Marina Garacina mm -hmm. um, and Raffaele Calafano about um, childcare and how the childcare has such an impact on what women can do in their careers. Um, if you're in a place where it's viewed equally, then the man and the woman are going to each be taking time off, that's okay. And in the US now we have paternity leave that's almost the same as maternity leave, which is still much less than many other countries, but still it's, it's considered equal. And we have a lot of access to childcare, um, both bringing people into your own home and as well as daycare settings. And when you have both partners, um, because it's not always a man and woman, obviously we've got lots of different families as well, but when you've got two people together raising a child, they can trade off as to who's picking the child up where that is happening. Some people have challenges where it's a single parent, um, and that's especially hard, and hats off to, there's some amazing people in the society who are single parents and maiming, you know, making incredible advances in lung cancer treatment as well. So it's, it's about all of the other aspects of the childcare and how easy it is for someone to be able to access those and the stigma that's associated within a is society, which varies, right? Um, so if you're in a place where it's expected that everyone works, you make it happen and the kids do great. If you're in a place where it's absolutely against the norm for a woman to be working, then that creates some challenges for her, but also for the kids, um, because they're gonna be asked, why isn't your mom here, what's going on? And so I think it's important for us to help empower people who may be still facing those challenges to like brainstorm about, well, what are the options and how can you help your kids if they're coming to you with those issues too? Heather, I know that you mentor many people, but several are women. Uh, and Karina, I know you also are a mentor, but don't have as many women uh, in your group. How important do you think it is to serve as a mentor to junior women in training? I, I think it's critical. Um, I certainly don't exclude men who want to work with me, um, but I definitely do reach out a little further to women, and that includes international colleagues as well. So I've had international postdocs who've come from France, many from China, uh, you know, different, different places to come and spend time, and I make it a point for them to also meet my family or at least know about my family. Um, 
to kind of let them know it's okay to have that balance. I have a fabulous group of medical oncology colleagues at Stanford. Um, so there's Joel Neal, and everybody else is a woman. Uh, so Shukmani Pada, Kavitha Ramchandran, Millie Das. Um, and uh, all of us have kids, except Suki, who's much younger. Um, and, you know, and we've all, we all know each other's kids and make sure that the kids know each other and you know, try to support that it's okay to have that balance and talk about it too. So at faculty meetings, we'll kind of talk about these things to again, make it okay that you can be both a very successful investigator, clinician, and parent. Um, because if you don't make it an okay topic, people sort of shy away from it. Yeah, it's important, I think, to give you know, young women who want to enter an oncology career, possibly research career, give tips about how you can manage you know, both sides of life, you know, family life and your professional life, because very often there's a perception that you, know, you can't do both, but actually I think giving some practical advice can be you know, very helpful and in you know, sharing what you've learned over the years, you know, perhaps at times I feel I've, I've learned the hard way, but I've got a few tips to share now, which I try to do as best as I can with uh, you know, the junior members of the group. Yeah, I always emphasize that I um, try to make sure I see my kids in the morning and I always, I don't always succeed, but I try to get home for dinner and give them those couple of hours right during that time, that focus on time. But then I'll go back and do that additional bits of email and other things that you can't get done. You know, we all work more than the eight hours that uh, one would be working full time. Um, but to sort of carve out times where I'm there with the kids or make a point to be there for performances where I can. I mean, obviously when we're at conferences and doing this, we're gonna miss some things, but to try to make sure that I'm there for. And I guess that's a difficulty when you make a decision to have a research career. I think that the issue when you have a family's conference time, because mm -hmm. we often away for several days at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, you work hard to prepare for the conference, so that is not always uh, terribly easy in the context of the family. But you know, it is extremely rewarding. And you know, now I have grown-up kids or well, teenagers and an adult, you know, son. Um, I think they, they they are proud to see that I have had a you know, I have a fulfilling career. Um, and I think it's important to be a, a role model to, to your own children. This is the first year that IASLC is having a women in lung cancer breakfast tomorrow. Uh, how important is that? Uh, what does it do, do you think, for women on either side of uh, the mentorship mentee role? Uh, is this, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. What do you, what do you think is the real value of uh, having a women in lung cancer breakfast for the first time? I'm really excited about it. So the idea actually came from some very junior faculty. They were actually uh, fellows, just finishing fellowship, looking into how do we get more involved, how do we raise attention about some of the challenges that women are still facing. Um, and so they uh, approached me and um, Enriqueta about the possibility of having this as part of the World Lung Conference, and we thought it was a great idea. Um, and ISLC was very open to it as well, and so we carved out an hour of time, um, found a room, and we've now had to expand the room a couple times because it's far exceeded capacity, which is great. And I think the fact that there's been so much enthusiasm for it, especially at 7 a.m. in a city that's known for staying up late, um, that uh, there's, just, there's a need that people wanna have opportunities to find 
like-minded or you know, similarly challenged people so that they can brainstorm about what are, what are the successes, how have people reached the levels of success they have when they're looking to the more senior folks um, to, so they can sort of learn how to deal with those challenges themselves. And some of them are in, uh, they're already at institutions where they have strong women leaders who they could speak to. Some are not in that situation and that's one of the things that can, as part of the ISLC family, we can all reach out together and, and provide that, that mentorship. Yeah, totally agree, Heather, because you know, I mentioned earlier that unfortunately I didn't have any female mentors, but throughout my career, I've had many, many friends, you know, female friends and colleagues who um, I have shared you know, experiences with, and it's been tremendous to have that support. So uh, I'm sure this initiative will be you know, a really important one. Oh, absolutely, and we're actually, um, as you know, I'm running, I'm chairing the North America Conference on Lung Cancer, the NACLC, which is going to be in Chicago in mid-October, and we have a lunch symposium um, also focused on women in lung cancer. Corrine, I know you're pretty involved in uh, the social media side. I see you regularly. Heather, you're a newer addition, but I've, I've picked it up well. Uh, I think that for many women uh, along the spectrum of their career, connecting with other women through social media, there's a Facebook group of uh, women in Hemonc and, uh, and just a lot of uh, opportunity to connect. How important do you think that is, uh, you know, particularly when we are all geographically spread out, so there are limited opportunities to be in the same room together? Yeah, I think connecting with like-minded colleagues, you know, whether they're male or female, is extremely important. And you know, although I actually don't do any social media other than Twitter, I don't do any social media you know, from a sort of personal point of view. Just uh, find Twitter extremely powerful in terms of connecting with people. Um, I've not necessarily used Twitter specifically to link up with women, but uh, would be delighted to hear from women who. Um, you know, would like to share experiences and, you know, anyone looking for a, a mentor, especially in my, you know, radiation oncology, I'd be delighted to hear from. And I also think that in any single institution, the opportunities for seeing women in higher level career opportunities may be limited. And so at least this opens up a world beyond where someone is just limited to the building that they're in. Yeah, and I think it, it helps to magnify the voices, which is something that's so important because, again, we, we're not back in the 50s where it was clearly established that men were going to be in power positions and the women were not going to be in the power positions. We're at a, a place now where most people believe there's a lot of equality, maybe not globally, um, but in many parts of the world. However, there are still biases that exist. And so it's being able to say, you know, this is still happening, to get people to step back and think, oh, hmm, is this still happening even at my institution? That helps to continue to get people reassessing, making sure that we are moving beyond having any biases, so that only, you know, so people are really being judged truly on how they're thinking and processing and the work they're doing as opposed to anything about, their, about them as a, a person otherwise. And then finally, where do you think we are in the trajectory? I mean, I don't want to be a Pollyanna, but I feel like, wow, we've really come a long way, uh, and uh, there's a lot more recognition. That said, uh, Dr. Duma's 
presentation about ASCO introductions is not ancient history, it's very recent history, and I think many of us who may feel like that doesn't apply to us would have to have our eyes opened and say there, there may be subtle things that we don't want to recognize. Uh, we are now having the first women in lung cancer breakfast. You are president-elect. Is Do you feel like mission accomplished at this point and you know we've done what we need to do and thank God that's all behind us or do you think this is just the end of the beginning? There's still a lot more to do and I think what, what I'd like to see as a clinician and a researcher is to see more women embracing research careers. I think it may be different in the US, but in, in Europe we still have very, very few women who decide to go down the route of a, a university type career. Um, there's still far too many challenges, I think. Um, so I think, as we have discussed, mentoring young women and helping them you know, to achieve that, that's what they wish, is the most important task ahead for us. Um, so currently ISLC membership is still only about one-third women and when you look at women in leadership positions not just within the organization but globally in institutions as well it's still not anywhere close to gender parity so it's nice that we are getting closer where people at least are even talking about that as being a, a goal but I think we're very far away from the... Yeah, I, I, I do feel like you, you're never going to get what you don't measure. You know, what, me what gets measured gets done. And uh, I, I feel that at least now we're paying attention to this. And, and we have the concept of mantles as a, a, a bad idea of having a, a big panel of only men without thinking about representing women. Uh, so we really can't aspire to do better than that until we acknowledge the problem, or at least at that stage, but we haven't exactly tackled it completely. But today's presidential symposium was sort of a case in point. Every one of the scientific presenters was a man. Two of the discussants were women. Those were specifically invited faculty, and they did standout jobs but the science was being carried forward by men. And that speaks to where we really do need to have the depth of scientists who are not just the same men, um, but a lot of, and, and that it needs to have the more geographic diversity um, where the data is being derived. It needs to have gender diversity. It needs to have ethnic diversity. I mean, there's, there's so many different levels um, where we want to make sure that we're thinking about lung cancer from many, many, many different perspectives and having all of those perspectives come forward. Well, thankfully, I, you know, in the session that you chaired and I spoke at, there were a lot more women presenters and that will prime the pump for future yes. presentations at a higher level. Yeah, some very dynamic junior women presenters. And so they're going to be the ones up on the big stage <laughs> in a few years. So we know in our advanced radiotherapy session this morning, uh, three out of the four speakers were women, and the two chairs were women, and it was fantastic. Well, there you go. So a hopeful note to end on. Thank you both for taking the time. Uh, this is really wonderful discussion. Thanks, Jack. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more lung cancer considered podcasts. And please like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues. This is Dr. Jack West. Until next time.